Hi, and welcome to the Parlay Podcast. I'm your host, Bernice Smith, and I'm so happy that you're joining me again. Parlay is a place for us to explore the elusive and unnameable things, the things we forget to talk about, with the hopes of finding some clarity and some understanding. So let me ask you, what comes to mind when I say the name Ebenezer Scrooge? Maybe you think old man or skinny, unpleasant, mean, greedy, selfish, maybe even redeemable. What feelings does that name evoke for you? Anger? Apprehension? Today we're going to talk about archetypes, stereotypes, bias, and microaggressions. And I'm going to attempt to break it down in a simple way. Fingers crossed. Let's talk about it. Let's parlay. Many of you know the story of Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. A bitter old miser with a cold heart who changes his greedy ways after being visited by three ghosts on Christmas Eve. Did you know that Scrooge is one of the most recognizable archetypes? Fun fact, Scrooge is a throwback to the miser archetype of Commedia dell'arte, a genre of theater that used stock characters or archetypes. Simply put, an archetype is a very typical example of a person or thing. Most of our go-to recognizable characters in literature, film, and theater come from Commedia dell'arte. You're probably familiar with characters such as the jerky athlete or the nosy neighbor or young lovers. Scrooge is based on Il Pantalone, a skinny, hook-nosed, greedy merchant who was shrewd in business, but not great with people. Commedia dell'arte troops used stock characters because they were easy for audiences to identify and understand regardless of language since they traveled all over Europe. For the most part, everyone knew someone like these characters in their lives. Again, an archetype is a typical example of a person. And when I said Ebenezer Scrooge, many of you had a picture in your mind of what he looked like and an idea about his behavior, right? Okay. Now that we know what an archetype is, what's a stereotype? A stereotype is an oversimplified idea around a person or group of people or things. Sometimes stereotypes can be good, but often we find that they're pretty bad. They can really get out of control when people start making stereotypes a baseline for assessing other people. To me, stereotypes put some sort of judgment on an archetype's traits. This is where blanket statements come into play. For example, based on a stereotype of the miser archetype, one might say that all skinny old men are cheap, that they're called Scrooges. Now, let's add another layer. Bias and unconscious bias are words we hear a lot of these days, as people are becoming more aware or getting woke. Some people might call bias a preference, but more specifically, it's a prejudice towards or against a person or thing. And when I look at bias, I think it comes in a few different forms. Bias can be instinctual. It can be experiential or it can be taught. When bias is instinctual, it's often meant to keep us safe. For instance, when women hear footsteps behind them when they're alone at night on a dark street, our instinct tells us whomever's behind us could hurt us, so we'll avoid that person. Sometimes we just feel some type of way about someone and it puts us off and we don't know why. So we're motivated to engage or disengage based on that feeling. You might call that a gut feeling. Generally, I believe in gut feelings. However, 
Even a gut feeling can be influenced by an experience or by someone's teachings. A bad or good experience can heavily affect the way you see someone or a group of people. Think about when you receive bad customer service somewhere. One interaction with one person in one business can affect how you see the entire chain of business. Someone may stop patronizing business altogether just based on one negative experience. And some bias is taught. These teachings can come from anywhere, but usually start with our family. The teachings can be explicit or implicit. They can be said directly to us or simply learned through behavior. Now, how might bias play into our Ebenezer example? I remember as a kid, there was a skinny old man on my street who had a bit of a hunch in his back and his arms were shorter than other adults I knew. He lived several houses down, so I really only saw him on Halloween for trick-or-treating. This was the guy that gave out apples. And I can tell you, as kids in the late 1980s, we hated this. We just wanted a bunch of candy. Anyway, I don't remember thinking that he was cheap, but I always felt uncomfortable going to his house. And I'm not sure why, he was always really nice to us, but maybe I imagined that he fulfilled the stereotype of Scrooge. Or maybe I was uncomfortable with the size of his arms because they seemed odd. Or perhaps I had learned that white men of his generation could sometimes be racist. I don't know, but I know that I had to fight a bias to go to his house at all. When bias goes bad, it can lead to very dangerous macroaggression, such as the way suffragettes or civil rights protesters, or even the Stonewall patrons were treated by police at those respective times. Or bias can lead to microaggressions. Microaggressions can be devious and sinister because we don't know we're doing them. A microaggression is a subtle, unintentional discrimination. A microaggression is like a metastasized lung cancer caused by decades of smoking. It is the result of long-standing stereotypes and biases that work and live in systems built and reinforced to continue to marginalize certain groups of people. So if a skinny old man that looked and sounded like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons came in for a job interview... Would you activate a microaggression and not hire him, even if he was the most qualified and had a very charming smile? Don't get me wrong, there's always a personality fit when it comes to hiring, but are you starting to connect the dots? Let's make the example a little more obvious. Imagine a black male. What do you see in your mind's eye? A man with brown skin of a certain height and build? That's our archetype. Now, what do you believe are his characteristics? What thoughts or feelings come to mind when you conjure this image? Were they negative or positive? Did you think things like lazy or distrustful? Or perhaps maybe athletic? You may have felt unsure or curious about this man. That is our stereotype. Now imagine that this black male sends you a message on a dating app or social media telling you that he really loves your profile and he sees that you two have a lot in common and he'd like to buy you a coffee sometime. However, growing up, you were told that being friends with black people was fine, but dating them is a big no-no. You don't directly remember this, but it was sort of an earworm that took root. So while your best friend is a black female, as an adult, you prefer to date men who have your same ethnicity. This is our bias. 
You respond to the message thanking the man for his kind words and acknowledging how impressed you are with his intelligence around your favorite subject, but you don't date black men. This is our microaggression. You might not know this, but two of our most influential figures in American history, Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln, both were vocal about their belief that black people were mentally and socially inferior. And while they both knew slavery should end, they were not abolitionists. They were extremely influential men who could have changed the narrative, but instead added to a legacy of thought that took an archetype and moved it to a damning stereotype that has created implicit and explicit bias that results in daily microaggressions. Ongoing microaggressions are like paper cuts. A few paper cuts are sustainable, but when your body is covered in them, you're still bleeding to death. It can be truly and deeply helpful to pause and ask ourselves, why are we interacting in a certain way and discover the root cause of our less desirable behavior? I think I'll leave this right here, and I hope you'll continue to contemplate and discuss this episode with your friends and family. One final thought. In Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical South Pacific, there's a song called You've Got to Be Carefully Taught that describes what we've discussed today. It says, you've got to be taught before it's too late, before you're six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be carefully taught. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I know, I know, this one was kind of heavy too, but... We've got to talk about this stuff so we can move to the next level. I did want to share with you the song from South Pacific, but I don't own the rights and I don't want to be sued so early on in this adventure because we've got a lot more to talk about. Next time, I'm going to be joined by my brother, Joseph Smith, a benevolent and brilliant photographer who lives life on the autism spectrum. It's going to be so good. So good. I'm so excited. You're going to love him. I know it. Um, I'm also working on a list of topics for future episodes. So if you have an idea, I want to hear from you. Send me an email or voice memo at parlaypodcast at gmail.com. That's P-A-R-L-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Until next time, keep talking about it.